Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, got an easy question for you, I promise. Not a riddle, side trick question. But what is this? It's a chair. It's a chair. Heidi gets a gold star. I heard her over there, everyone else. Uh, we'll take care of that later. Uh, so, so it's a chair. Now, when I see an empty chair particularly this empty chair, because y'all show up late. I just want to make that clear for the get-go. You guys are a late-arriving crowd, and you know who you are. Not everybody, but you know who you are. And I get nervous. I get nervous. I get up here, I do the two-minute warning, and I think to myself, well, maybe this is the last Sunday. No one's going to show up. But here you are, and I really appreciate that. Really glad that you're here. But I get nervous when I see an empty chair. Uh, We used to do youth ministry. I used to do youth ministry for about 10 years, and, and I would get really nervous about empty chairs. Because if you want to, like, run off a teenager, make them feel awkward, right? Make them feel uncomfortable. And so I would be sitting there, I'd see the empty chair, and i think to myself, man, like, like, no one's going to want to be here if this is all that's going to show up. Or I'd have something planned, and I'd have all this food or this game set up, and there's going to be great 15 to 20 kids show up, but when five, it just didn't work. And so when I see an empty chair, I, I have a lot of anxiety. Or, or maybe you've been to a wedding. Or maybe you've paid for a wedding. And you see an empty chair, and you immediately feel like, oh, that cost that much money, and it's just kind of gone to waste. Or, or maybe you think about an empty chair, and you think about people that aren't there anymore. Maybe it's that holiday celebration, it's Thanksgiving, it's a birthday, and yeah, so-and-so used to sit there. And when we think, if we see an empty chair, it's all, this, all these emotions that could come up, and all these, all these, these ideas of loss, and, and someone who isn't there. Because ultimately, when a chair remains empty, I think something is missed. We've been in a series the last, uh, this is week three of the series called The Invitation. And The Invitation is all about this idea, how do we reach out, how do we invite more people into this church? Not because this church is perfect, or not because we're just trying to deal with empty chairs to fill them up so that I feel better, I have less anxiety about it, but because we believe this. That when it comes to our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, our best attempt at a first step at that is this on Sunday morning. It's not the only way you can find and follow Jesus. It's not the only way you can pursue that. There are a lot of great churches in this area. All that to be said, for us, this is our best way. This is our best attempt. And so when we come together, we're not just coming together for people who already believe. Love that you're here. Love that you're here. Love that I hope and I pray that this time is, in the gathering is helping you, that we are achieving our mission with you in terms of following Jesus forward. We, we love that. But we're also thinking about somebody who hasn't been in church for a while. We're thinking about somebody who hasn't been in church for a while or maybe even has never been in church. And what is it going to look like for them when they walk in here? What are they going to expect? And, and how can we kind of make this an easy on-ramp for them? Not because following Jesus is easy, But because it's so difficult, we want to remove any barriers that we can. And so we do things with movement kids. We want this to be a good space for kids. We want to have the coffee and the donuts because holding something in your hand makes conversation a little bit easier. And I'm not sure why. Uh, We we put words on the screen so that people can follow along. You can sing if you want, but that's not an obligation. And when I teach, when I teach from the scriptures, I'm not just up here pontificating or even lecturing about what this means or that means. I'm trying to put it in a context that allows all of us to take this and say, how am I part of this story? 
How am I part of this story that I read in Scripture, and what does that mean for me? So when we talk about the empty chair, we're not just talking about making more elbow room or creating space for you to put your stuff down. What we're trying to do is saying that that an empty chair is important because it matters because someone's missing out. If you were with us, you know, four to five years ago, we were set up and tearing down every morning in Woodfield Elementary there in Fort Thomas. And our first two years was this, just, it was a tough experience. Not because we had a lot of empty chairs, but just because you were set up and tearing down every Sunday morning. It was so good, but it was so hard too. And, and I had a friend who was, who was not part of our church, but, but could speak honestly with me. You know, sometimes you need an outside voice. And they said, hey, great service. Music was good. Message was good. All that stuff. But you need to deal with the chairs. I said, what's wrong with the chairs? Well, if you remember, if you were there, if you weren't, they're the metal, cold chairs. There's, there's nothing to them. And they're built for elementary school kids. They're not like the itsy-bitsy chairs, but they're small. And when we would put chairs directly next to each other with no space, she said it was an issue. She, she brought her, her brother who's in town. She says, I love my brother, but I never want to sit that close to him ever again in my life, right? And you, you, need, to, you need to space out. And I understand that for us, that this isn't just about creating space. This is about helping people find and follow Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to pick up a story about, that Jesus tells that involves empty chairs. It involves a party. Uh, it's been called the, the parable of the great banquet. It could easily be called the parable of the empty chairs. Uh, to set the scene, uh, Jesus is at a party. He's at a banquet. He's at a dinner party with these prominent Pharisees, these religious leaders, these VIPs. And in this room, it, these VIPs very much thought of themselves as like, we're doing a good deed by letting this itinerant, probably homeless preacher, rabbi, come into our house. This Jesus who has a following, but doesn't really seem to have any plans for like how he's going to eat tonight, so we're going to invite him in for dinner. And now, now we, he's there, and he's, he's kind of been put at, the, at, this, at this kind of side table, it appears. Because Jesus goes on, and he tells this story to all these bigwigs that when they are invited to a party, they are not supposed to take the head table seat. They're not supposed to take those seats of honor. They're supposed to sit in the back. When I have uh, officiated weddings, there's been times where I've been the one who's responsible for dismissing tables at the reception, right? So I hold the keys to the kingdom. I hold the power to who gets to eat first and when, right? And never has such little power gone straight to my head, right? I, I just, I, I, and it's like a stressful thing. Do you allow this table to go? And everyone's, everyone's looking at you, right? Like they just stare at you when you're walking by, like, like are, you, are, you, are you coming over here? And that whole experience. And Jesus says, no, you're supposed to sit at the back. You're supposed to sit off to the side. You're supposed to not be there and be so celebrated. You're supposed to be, be the person who's looking to serve others. Because this is what it means to follow me, is that you are supposed to be somebody who's looking to serve. It's a race to the back of the line. And one of the, one of the Pharisees, when Jesus is done talking about this, kind of does one of these diversion agreement tactics. You ever been in a situation where someone's talking about something and it's making the situation uncomfortable? It's making things awkward. Maybe they bring up politics, and they're railing about this person or this candidate or this government system or what it, whatever it may be. It, it, you just find yourself just saying, I've got to get this person off topic, right? And so you just come up with some statement like, yeah, it's, it's a broken system. How about the Reds? Or, yeah, it's a broken system. It's raining a lot. Like you just kind of try to change the subject. 
Well, this Pharisee does the same thing. He says, well, essentially like, yes, Jesus, you're right, and let's move it on. But then Jesus goes into this parable, this story, and he expands on this idea. Now, a parable is a true story that may not have happened. Okay, it, it gives us so much truth, but it's not that Jesus is recounting something that happened, but he's teaching us through it. And so in Luke chapter 24, it'll be on the screen if you want to flip over there on your phone or your Bible, go ahead. But in Luke chapter 24, Jesus tells this story. And like every parable in the story, this, every parable that Jesus tells, what we see in the story is that we are part of the story. So often we come and read scripture, we say, what can I take for my life? What can I apply to my life? And I think so often our posture should be, how am I part of the story? Where am I in this story? What am I going to do about it? So Jesus tells this story, starting in Luke chapter 24, verse 16. Jesus says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all, all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, you mean, I, I didn't catch this at first, but these are the lamest excuses you can come up with, all right? You, 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 ever, you ever run into somebody and you're like, hey, I texted you the other day, and they say, oh, I didn't get your text. Yes, they did. No one in the history of man has not put their phone down long enough to miss a text, right? Like, we all get the text. We just say that stuff. No one is changing phone numbers that often that they're missing your call, right? These are lame excuses on that level. In fact, what would happen in this day and age is that there would usually be two invitations that would go out. One would be kind of like a save the date. It would be well in advance. They would send this invitation out, and you would have to RSVP then. And if you RSVP then, if you said yes then, there would be a second, if not more than that, but the second would happen right before the event itself. Kind of a reminder, hey, next week we got this thing, you're going to come, it's going to be great. And they would only send that out to people who'd already said yes. So if you're getting this invitation, what it's talking about here, that right before the event, you've already said yes. What do these people say? They can't do it. The first excuse has to do with real estate. Now, in that day and age, the most important thing in an agrarian economy with terms of real estate is water. It's a desert, arid environment. And so they're very concerned with water. They're very concerned with where things flow, how much rain it gets, if there's any kind of spring nearby. And so a real estate transaction would be a months-long, if not years-long process of negotiation and investigation and research. No one in their right mind would buy a piece of property sight unseen in that day. Would you buy a used car without driving it first? Would you buy a used car without getting it looked at? Would you buy a used car without seeing a picture or hearing nothing about it other than the color of the car? Of course not. In the same way, this guy comes up with this lame excuse like, well, I can't do this because I just bought a piece of property. It's, it's a lie, bold-faced right there. The second has to do with the team of oxen. I've never been around oxen. Maybe I've seen them in a zoo. I'm not even sure about that, but... If you have a yoke or a pair of oxen that are pulling a cart or a wagon, they have to work in tandem, right? If one wears out or if one lags the other one, they're eventually going to break down. They're not going to be as strong as they would on their own. To maximize the effort, there has to be harmony. 
There has to be an equal in terms of strength and endurance. And so again, this would not be something this guy would have bought these oxen, these animals sight unseen. He would have tried them out. He would have test drove them, for, so to speak. He never would have said, I just bought them, now I need to go check it out. The third excuse, maybe we kind of have an idea of, has to do with marriage. I just got married. I just got married, so I can't come. A marriage in that day was not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It was usually arranged. It usually had all this preparatory thing. It had all these kind of ritual and custom and things that led up to the wedding, the marriage. It was not just something that happened. So the bottom line here is these guys in this parable are giving excuses. They're obviously lies. They're obviously just the first thing that came to their head and don't make any sense. They don't want to be there. Jesus continues in verse 20. It said, The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of these who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And you can probably guess this isn't about how to throw a party. This story isn't about how to throw a party. This story is about something larger. This story is about how Jesus views his kingdom. And what happens in the kingdom of God? Well, God gets what God wants. That God gets what God wants. That what God does and wants, as it is in heaven, have, has come down to earth. That Jesus kind of inaugurates this new way of living, this new way of treating one another, this new way of understanding the divine and understanding our, our brokenness. And Jesus kind of inaugurates this and says, this is now happening, but it's not fully there yet. And so whenever we see in here these parables and these stories, it's a glimpse. Okay, this is where we're supposed to be headed. This is how things are supposed to, do, supposed to happen, and we can get there because of what Jesus has done. And so we read this story. It's not about a party planning committee. It's not about someone ha having to figure out how they are supposed to gather people together. This is about this new kind of community of love and grace. And here's an important point. God is not concerned with our attendance records. God is concerned with people being here so that they are connecting and meeting him. It, I'm not going to be judged as a pastor, as a leader by God on how many people I got to show up. I'm going to be judged on how many people I helped follow Jesus. Now, bottom line, God wants every seat to be filled because he wants every life to be full. The seats are just a means to an end. The seats are just the tool that we use to get there, and it's not a perfect tool. So Jesus announces this. He tells this story, and here come all these lame excuses. The in crowd, they turn up their noses, they say, I'm not going to dignify myself, I'm not going to show up and be there, I'm not going to be seen with these people. And so he tells his servants to go out, to go outside and reach out to people and bring them in. And he brings in a whole mess of people who are kind of on the periphery. And then he says, I want you to go out to the roads and the crossroads of town. I want you to go even further. There's kind of a, a progression, a moving out that happens here where the servant goes out further and further, bringing in more and more people who are less and less likely to be there. And what we see is that everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. Jesus is not being subtle here about this. He is putting forward a message very clear. This is a new kind of community. There are no longer haves and have-nots. There's no first class. There's no second class. Everyone is welcome. So people will often complain or they'll, they'll, they'll allege that 
to follow Jesus, to be a Christian, that's an awful exclusive thing, right? Like, like you, are, you people, you just kind of keep people at arm's length. And I just want to say, like, I'm sorry if that's been your experience, and I'm sorry if I've been part of that problem, but that's not how this is designed to be. See, whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's a very inclusive thing. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is invited in. Everyone can be a part of this. It's radically inclusive. And so Jesus is telling the story about the VIPs refusing to take their seats and the people on the outside coming in to in. He continues to send out his servants to bring in more people because what is the goal in this parable? It's so that the house will be full. And here's the message for us today. An empty chair is never just an empty chair. It's so much more than that. When I think about an empty chair, I, I think about the loss in opportunity. The empty chair is, is an opportunity for someone to find friendship and connection with others during a time of loneliness. It's an opportunity for a couple who are struggling with their marriage to find hope and forgiveness and grace. It's an opportunity for someone to experience love. It's an opportunity for someone to find their way back to where things are supposed to be to follow Jesus for the first time or once again. That empty chair remaining empty is a missed opportunity. That's why, not, that, that's, why, that's why every empty chair needs to be filled, not so it's just filled, but because God wants every seat to be filled, because he wants every life to be full. God wants every chair to be full, because he wants every life to be full. Two weeks ago, I challenged all of us and myself to, to write down three names, right? And the idea was, is that we're going to write down three names, we're going to be praying for these people. People that, that don't go to a church as far as we know, and we're going to be praying for these people. And we're going to be looking for opportunities to reach out, to include them in our lives, to invest in them relationally. And we're going to be on the lookout for how this looks, how we're going to do this. We said we're going to look for, for times when, th- when their life is kind of changing. When maybe something's new that's going on. Maybe they feel like they're at a loss. Maybe they're looking for something more. And, and, and I think about those people on my list, and, and I assume about people on your list, and these are people you associate with. These are people you run into. These are neighbors. These are coworkers, right? Maybe these are people that live in your own home. And, and what I think about is, that, is that, that maybe my list was too small, right? You know, you know I, if I really thought of it, I could write down a lot of names and probably be overwhelmed by the enormity of it. But in God's eyes, when God's throwing this banquet, that list is really, really long. And so we do our best to throw a banquet, throw a party here on Sunday mornings. Despite what, how it may seem, I prepare for these things. I think about what I'm going to say. I pray about what I'm going to say. I, I, I try to put together something that I feel like God is saying to me to say to you. I know Rich and the team, they, they, they practice meticulously, and, and Rich puts thought and prayer into, into the songs that are selected. I know for a fact that, that there, there are people that, that are serving downstairs in the, with movement kids that really make it a point to do that. Our, our intern, Sael Perez, I mean, he hasn't been with us very long. You may not know, know Sael very, very well, but Sael isn't here this morning. Sael is actually in Puerto Rico, his home, because his grandfather passed away, sadly. And the family is grieving and also celebrating, and we, we, we support them, we love them, but you, you know what Sael did this morning? If you're on our Movement Kids Volunteers page, he posted the videos. He posted the videos like he does every Sunday morning, so those volunteers would have a backup on Facebook in case the technology didn't work downstairs. Because Sael, I didn't tell him to do this. I was planning to do it for him, and I got on there, and he had already done it. He just said, this is important. This is important. 
what's happening downstairs and those volunteers who prepare and and get ready we say this is important not because we want to put on the best show or not because we want to make you laugh or make you feel a certain way but because we are trying to help one another find and follow jesus and so for us all that goes into this there's a reason there's a reason and we are really proud of this as humbly as we can say that i know i am and for us, when I think about the things that we're really proud of, the things that we really love, the things we're really excited about, we talk about them, right? We recommend them. We, we share them with others. Now, this past week, Heidi was in Houston, and she was at this assessment uh, uh, conference, this assessment center. And so she, along with like 20 to 30 other assessors, were dealing with like 60 to 70 people who are thinking about planting a church, or thinking about starting a brand new church. And Heidi got to be there, and, and she got to judge them in some respects. And hopefully she was less Simon Cowell than Paul Abdul. And that reference is really, really old, but we'll go ahead and keep going forward with that. But, but, but Heidi was there, and she was kind of giving people ideas and, and pushing back and pointing out blind spots and giving a development plan and kind of saying, if you're going to plant a church, this is what we would recommend, or this is we, we would give you kind of a, 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 some handholds to kind of move forward. And she's down there, and in kind of the downtime, she's talking to one of the, the potential guys that's going to go plant the church, and, and he mentions that he splits firewood as a hobby, and that's something that I do. And my wife has heard me talk about something so often that in that moment, she immediately asked him, well, my husband loves the Friskers X27 splitting axe. Do you use that splitting axe? He says, yes, I do. And so I say yes, because the Friskers X27 splitting axe with the 36-inch carbon fiber handle is the best splitting axe money could buy, bar none. They don't make just good scissors. They make incredible splitting axes. But in that moment, that was something that she knew, she had heard me talk about so often, because she's only picked up that axe several time, a couple times, and it's been perilous both times. But when she has done that, she recognizes that this is something Josh loves, so Josh recommends. We've all done this, with, whether it be with restaurants or a new app or a movie or a TV show or whatever. We recommend these things. I don't want us to be the weird church that's just like flagging people down and knocking on doors randomly and just saying, hi, my name's Josh. Do you know Jesus? I don't want to do that because I don't think it's effective. But I do want to be a church where he says, hey, we aren't perfect. We don't have this all figured out. But we think you should come to Movement Church. We meet at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 8th and Monroe Newport. We got coffee for you, we got donuts, we got spots for your kids. You don't have to dress up, you don't have to do anything right to come here. You just got to walk in. I want to be a church where we can say that these are the things that we want to be about. I want to be a church that that you're proud to bring your friends to. Because I've been at churches before in my life where I was a little embarrassed to bring my friends. Or as we're walking out, I said, hey, just so you know. I don't think everything that this person is going to say. And th- th- this, this is, a, I, I, I disagree. And I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by this too. I want to be a church where you can come in and say, hey, th- th- I may have some disagreements on things, but this is my church. I love this place. Not because it's perfect, but because it helps me follow Jesus. I don't want you to tell people how great we are. I want you to tell them what Jesus is doing in your life. And I want you to say, hey, one big thing that's really been helpful has been this church. And I still got doubts, I still got issues, but here I am. So here's, here's my challenge for you. My challenge for you is twofold. The first thing is this. 
you yourself, not me for you, not your parents for you, not your friends for you, you yourself, we have to take our seat at the table. Because guess what? You might be like the VIPs. You might know church all the way through, forwards and backwards. You might have been in a church since the day you were born. You might just be so church, you know all the songs, you know all the, uh, the when to stand up, when to sit down, you know all the passages of Scripture, you've memorized the books, and maybe you've become like those Pharisees, a little prideful in it. And the sad thing is, is I don't want us, because I know I could be that person, I don't want to miss out that invitation to come to the party. Or maybe you're like somebody who's just on the, the periphery. You know about Jesus. You've heard all the things. Maybe you would even say you're a believer or you used to be a believer. And you, you come and, and you see the value in raising your family here and having your kids go through moving kids. Or you see the value in just coming together with other people. You like the people here, but you're still kind of on the outs. You're still not fully bought in. And, and you're still kind of keeping us and keeping Jesus, more importantly, at arm's length. Well, maybe you need to step in and come in. Or maybe you're way out there. Not way out there because you are so immoral or because you are so uh, wrong or you're such a horrible person, but you're way out there because you've had to do that to survive in some respects. And you're, fur you're far away. And you've gotten comfortable out there. You've gotten comfortable in, in your doubts and your questions, and your lack of belief. And you've gotten comfortable in your isolation. And you've gotten comfortable with your scars because they keep the wounds from breaking back open. Maybe you need to see yourself as someone who's out there and Jesus is coming to you and he's inviting you in. And he said, you don't need to get cleaned up. You don't need to resolve all your questions right now. You don't need to have all this figured out. I get it that you're still a broken person. I get it, but I still want to be with you. Maybe you need to take that step. Maybe you need to come and join the party and join that table. And the second is this. The second challenge is this, is that God is sending us out to invite others in. The servant who, who Jesus, who, in the parable that Jesus tells, the servant is not the most qualified one to go and invite in. The servant is not the most qualified one to go and invite in. Who were the first preachers? Who were the first people to tell the story of the resurrection of Jesus? It was a bunch of women who, when they went and told the men what they saw, the men thought they were crazy. What we see over and over again in the Bible is that the people who are given the message to share, who are given the story to tell, who are told to go out and spread the news are not qualified, are not educated, and don't have the moral background to back it up. N.T. Wright, this theologian, says this. He says, it isn't enough to say that we ourselves are the people dragged in from the country lanes to our surprise to enjoy God's party. That may be true, but party guests are then expected to become party hosts in their turn. See, for too many of us, I think we still think we're guests. I still think we, we think we're guests. And we're missing out this idea that we're supposed to be hosts. Now, that's not guilt. That's not shame. That's an understanding of your role and your purpose. I love that you're here. I love that you're here. I love that you decide to take some time on your weekend to come and worship with us. I love that. I love that you bring your kids. I love that you serve. I love that you contribute. You're so generous. I love all that. But if we do not see ourselves as hosts, as we are supposed to be the ones inviting in, then perhaps we're missing out. 
Not perhaps. We're missing out. Because here's the deal about the empty chair. I was 10 years old. I was 10 years old, and I wasn't sitting in a padded chair like this. I was sitting in a pew. Sitting in a pew, and mom made me wear the tie, and I hated wearing the tie. And I'm sitting there, and we're singing the songs that we sing every week, or what seems like we sing every week. And the pastor's up there up front, droning on, telling his bad jokes, often as it is with pastors. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, and he gets to the end, and he says something that, for whatever reason, it finally clicked. He told me, as he was telling the rest of the congregation, if you love Jesus... All you have to do is say yes, because Jesus already loves you. And he says, if you want to say yes for the first time, I'd invite you to come out to that center aisle and walk down and come up front and let's talk. About that time, the organ music kicks in, all that, that noise that'll make you believe in God when you're 10 years old. And I go up front. And the next Sunday, I got baptized. And I think about when I was 17. And I had had a big detour between 10 and 17. And I'm 17, and my grandmother had sent me to camp. She walked into my birthday and said, hey, next week you're going to camp with my church's youth group. Happy birthday. <laughs> I said, thanks, Grandma. So I get on a bus, about 40 other high schoolers. I know about three of them. But by the end of that week, I was sitting in a chair just like this, and you'll be shocked to hear this. I was crying. And in that moment, I felt that God was telling me that for the rest of my life, I was supposed to be a pastor. And that was not part of the plan. I think about eight years ago, I'm a frustrated youth pastor. I don't see any future at the church I'm at, the church I love. I look around and say, what I'm doing, I'm not crazy about it, and I'm not very good at it but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next. I was at that vocational crossroads, and I was at that place where I was asking God, what the heck am I supposed to do? And I wasn't sitting in a chair, I was sitting on a cinder block in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, on a rooftop of a mission we supported, we were working with that week. And over to my left was one of the hills of Port-au-Prince, lit up not as much as it should be. And over here, couldn't see anything because it was dark because they didn't have electricity. It was about a 100,000-person tent city because it was only about a year after the quake. And then behind me was about a 50-mud-hut 50, 50 village with no running water. And I'm sitting there, and I'm asking God, what am I supposed to do with my life? Where are you, God. And I almost heard him laugh. I felt as though God was saying, you idiot. You don't think I love you? You don't think I, have, I don't have a plan for you? Maybe you need to quit worrying and living in such fear and take a step out and do the next right thing. And the next right thing was move in church. So I think about the empty chair a lot. I think about the empty chair a lot because I have no idea what God is doing in your life. I only know if you tell me or if I hear 
But I know this. These aren't just chairs. These aren't just chairs. These are an opportunity for the God of the universe to do something. And you might think that's hyperbolic. You might think that's grandiose. And I would agree with you 100%, yes it is, because that's what we're dealing with. The God of the universe loves you so much, knowing full well your full history and your full story and you're fully where you are, and still says, I got a seat for you. And once you come in, you take that seat, God says, now I got a job for you. Let's throw the greatest, biggest party we possibly can. The band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a couple songs here to close out our time. But we got an opportunity right now to do something about this.